When I look into the eyes of an animal, I do not see just an animal. I see a living being, I see a friend, and I see a soul. A.D. Williams. Welcome to episode five of the Dr. Cliff podcast, Man's Best Friend. Well, thanks for joining me, everyone. As I said, episode five of the Dr. Cliff podcast, working title. Uh, please reach out to me, YouTube, on my YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash DR Cliff, uh, youtube.com slash DR Cliff. Or, of course, uh, Instagram or email me. Uh, you can find me everything. Find all the contact info on the uh, wherever you're watching this or listening to this podcast. So I decided uh, episode five was going to be titled Man's Best Friend because I'm going to talk about one of my uh, puppy dog best friends. Um, my family and I have this almost three-year-old Labradoodle named Thalia. She's, uh, she's beautiful. She's fun. She's happy. She brings everyone a ton of joy, and unfortunately, right now she is sick, and not just not just a little bit sick. She's she's really really sick, um, and you know what? Kind of this is actually she. I literally left her at the uh, at Wellington Vet Hospital, my my animal clinic uh, today. She's going to be there for a few nights, and it it broke my heart. It broke my heart not only to leave her there, but every few minutes uh, or every few hours just leaving the cage. Um, she's in this giant run and she's got an IV line hooked up and, you know, she can't really eat even if she wanted to. And that's part of the problem is she hasn't been eating well for, for four or five days. Um, and, and, you know, so I go in there and I take off the e-collar um, and I sit with her and I read a book or I do some journaling and uh, I just spend as much time in between appointments as I can just kind of keeping her company because she doesn't understand what's going on. And it just, it breaks her heart. It breaks my heart because I, I walk in there and her tail's wagging and she's so excited. I know she thinks, oh, we're going home. I get to play with mommy and I get to play with Ashley, our other little dog. Um, and, and I can't explain it to her. So I just, you know, I just pet her belly and she cuddles up next to me. And then she gets so excited when I stand up. And then I go and I shut the, shut the gate on her, shut the door on her. And she just, okay. She just lies her head down and she just waits, but she doesn't understand. And it, and it, and it probably makes her quite scared and confused. And, uh, thank goodness dogs don't really sort of dwell on the past. And, you know, she's sad right now. And I know what I'm doing is, is for her best interest because of how sick she is. And, Honestly, without this treatment, um, uh, she could die. I mean, I'll explain what's going on, but, um, you know, she is going to be fine and her prognosis is quite good, but, um, you know, uh, so I have to remind myself I'm doing this for her long-term goal, you know, and, and it's very hard to kind of detach myself from what's going on. And it, although I hate that this has happened, you know, I'm trying to use it to remind me of why I do the job that I do and, and how, like A.D. Williams said in that quote from the beginning, how, you know, it's, they're not just animals, that they're a living being and, and, and they're our friends and they have a soul and, and they're just these beautiful animals that are so honest uh, which is why I love working with cats and dogs and animals is they are so honest. Even when they hate you, there's no evil intent. There's no manipulation. I mean, unless they're trying to sneak a, get you, manipulate you into letting them on your, uh, on your bed or, 
you know, here, here's my paw, pet, pet me kind of thing. So I guess they are manipulative, but it's never in a, in a negative way. They're just trying to, you know, get, get attention. But, um, so it reminds me, um, and it humbles me, but it reminds me about how blessed I am to be a veterinarian. And it's an honor to be able to work with these animals and help the owners, um, you know, be a positive influence on their animals' lives. And I've said in other podcasts how, you know, in the world, a lot of veterinarians, especially in the U.S., a lot of veterinarians, uh, they're not happy with their jobs. And there's some socioeconomic reasons and work-life balance and stuff like that, that we don't have the same problems here in the, in Canada. But um, we still see a lot of veterinarians. I still speak with veterinarians who have forgotten about how much they wanted to do this job and, you know, and how, how happy they were when they were accepted into vet school and they found out. Um, and I guess maybe the job is different than they expected. And, but I think part of it is, is we allow the negatives in our lives to become the overwhelming sort of effect of our life, uh, instead of, you know, remembering the good times or thinking about the good times and focusing on the good times and making more good times and, and being appreciative of what we have. So, Thalia being sick has has reminded me uh, to be appreciative of her and the relationship she and I have and that she has with my wife and my children and my stepson and the joy that she brings everybody and uh, and it and it it has reminded me um, again of how blessed I am to do this job. The other thing is done and I'll get into this more later because I want to talk about her specifically, but it is it is it will make me a better veterinarian. Again, it, it's going to make me even more empathetic and understanding to my clients. And um, so I hope to touch on that near the end, but let's get to her. So she is, she is quite sick. She, uh, the history is, is about six or seven days ago, she wasn't eating great. You know, she kind of ate only half a meal. She eats twice a day. Now we, we were missing a sock and, we're quite sure she ate it. Be one of these tiny little athletic socks. And she's a, she's a good sized dog. She's 45 pounds. So, um, this would be her, I kid you not, probably 20th piece of clothing that she's eaten. And so it's always the same thing. She'll, she'll be missing it a day later. She'll be off her food a bit and then she'll poop it out and then she'll be fine. And sure enough, she, she spent a little extra time outside and I could see she was, she was, uh, she was bearing down, pushing something out. Um, and, uh, uh, I was bearing down, lifting some weights. Uh, we're probably making the same face. And, uh, uh, so she passed some sort of piece of cloth or whatever. Um, I did not go through it with a fine tooth comb to figure out exactly what it was. Um, and so she started eating again. So we didn't really think much of it, but she never really ate a hundred percent. And then after a couple of days, it was probably, uh, I'm trying to think it was probably like, Thursday that she, you know, it's, it's Wednesday now. So it was six or seven days ago that, uh, she was, she was still not eating that much. She was only eating maybe half her food and there's some gurgliness going on in her tummy. And, you know, it just didn't seem, she just, she would want to go and eat and she'd kind of take a few bites and then she just kind of have this weird look on her face and she'd spit the food out. And is it her teeth? Do her teeth hurt? And, you know, we're going through, all the same questions that pet owners probably have with their own pets. And I don't want to bug the veterinarian. And then there's the money. And like, I totally get it right now with me. 
I don't charge myself to do an exam, obviously, and, and blood work and x-rays, anything I want to do, I just charge the company. It's my company. Um, so in a sense, I'm kind of charging myself, but obviously there's, you know, the, the, there's no issue with profit. Um, you know, so I get it. I get that financially it's different. So I, like, what an idiot. Like, of course, I'm going to take my dog to the vet. I'm going to take her to my clinic. And so she was coming to the clinic on uh, on the, the Saturday. On the Friday, I do my volunteer work, so I can't really take her. Uh, and it wasn't an emergency. So by the time Saturday rolls around, we take her to the clinic and, you know, I do an exam and she's fine and there's nothing obvious. Maybe she's a little sore in the back area. So I thought, ah, it might be the kidneys. You know, I'm thinking back to when I first graduated and worked with Gil Plummer and now he taught me about these dogs that just ain't doing right or ADR dogs. Uh, you know, where the owner says, ah, no, my dog's eating and my dog's not vomiting. And I don't know, doc, there's just, she ain't doing right. And, you know, he's kind of said, push the kidneys. And if they seem sore, get a urine sample and they might have a low grade kidney infection. So sure enough, we grab some blood on her and we, uh, we send that to the lab. This is a Saturday, so we're not going to get the results till Monday, but we run the urine in house and a uh, little bit of blood in it shouldn't be there. A little bit of inflammatory kind of cells shouldn't be there. But most importantly, the, the urine specific gravity, the concentration of the urine was extremely low. Now it was almost like water um, for the veterinarians and the people in the animal health field or any health field. It was 1.005, what we call 10.5 or 10.05. And as an example, pure distilled water with zero uh, um, like other molecules in it, zero precipitants, zero you know electrolytes, that sort of thing, it would be a 1.000, so a 1. Um, so that is pure water. Um, anything under 1010 is so low that it's essentially the same concentration as the serum in blood. So basically the kidneys aren't concentrating at all um, or something is encouraging the kidneys to, to like over dilute or to flush out themselves with, uh, with urine. Um, so I looked at it and said, okay, so she probably has a low grade kidney infection is what I see. I'll stick her on some antibiotics, but also send off the urine for a culture and this will grow the bacteria. And this is something your veterinarian can regularly do. Uh, it grows the bacteria, confirms there's an infection, actually tells us what the bacteria is. So it gives us an idea of where it came from. But most importantly, the culture is also what's called a sensitivity. So culture and sensitivity. And so the laboratory takes those bacteria that they grew and they test it against approximately a dozen common antibiotics, penicillin, uh, clavamox, which is a type of penicillin, um, you know, all the fluoroquinolones and, and the cephalosporins and whatnot. And it tells us which antibiotics are going to be effective because there are resistance problems. So in the meantime, you start, I, at least what I do is I start them on an antibiotic because it's in the kidneys. You don't want to mess around. Um, and if the culture comes back and says, I chose correctly, great, pat myself on the back. Here's some more antibiotics to extend the treatment. Uh, if I chose wrong, no harm, no foul. We can, you know, it's, it's helped. It's, it's killed some of the infection. And probably by now the patient is already feeling better. And they say, Hey, but doc, Fluffy's feeling better. We don't, you know, we don't need to change, do we? Well, yeah, you do because we're only going to be able to kill 95% of the infection. And once we stop the antibiotics, Fluffy's going to be sick again. So that's, you know, and this is something I kind of normally tell people before 
like right at the beginning, I say, look, this is going to go one of two ways. Well, the third way is that it's not an infection. And sure enough, she kind of perked up a little bit. Uh, she came home with us. And she, she perked up a little bit. She was on a bit of pain medication. Um, but by, by Monday, uh, she was not only back to feeling crummy, but she now wasn't eating anything. I gave her some canned food that we had, that special food that's easily to digest. We just have it around for if they, you know, grab something they shouldn't and they're going to get diarrhea. This kind of helps. And she, she wolfed it down. She was like, yeah, this is awesome. But just to be safe, I took her to the clinic and, you know, I wasn't super happy with how she was doing. And, uh, so I'm like, ah, I'm just going to take her to the clinic and we'll just, just blast her with 10 hours worth of intravenous fluids. And uh, so we did that. We threw in a line and and she hung out at the clinic for the day. And in the meantime, uh, we got the blood work back. It had come back on the Monday and it showed that her kidney enzymes were fine. And in fact, what was going on is she had some elevated liver enzymes. Um, and specifically, she was a bit jaundiced. So she was yellow. She was showing some some uh, uh, dysfunction, we're going to say, dysfunction of the liver. So when you get jaundice, when you get this increased level of bilirubin, um, bilirubin is a, a byproduct of red blood cell destruction. It's the normal, you know, as your body is recycling red blood cells every three months or so, it creates bilirubin. Bilirubin gets kind of cleaned out by the liver uh, conjugated, unconjugated, all these little chemical processes eventually goes through the gallbladder, through the bile duct, into the stool, into the uh, small intestines. And it's actually, you know, interesting fact, uh, you guys, is that uh, that was my uh, Cliff Clavin uh, impersonation from those who watch Cheers. Well, it's a well, uh, it's a little known fact that uh, the brown of stool of feces is actually due to bilirubin, which is a byproduct of red blood cell destruction. Um, so that's why your poop is brown. Um, so if your poop is pale, uh, there might be an obstruction in your bile duct, uh, and now the bilirubin can't get in there. So you have different reasons for increased bilirubin. You can actually have massive destruction of red blood cells due to certain cancers, certain autoimmune diseases, even parasites can damage the red blood cells. So then, so then the body destroys the red blood cells, recognizing that they're uh, damaged uh, or malfunctioning. Um, so that's hemolysis. Um, now her red blood cell count was fine, but maybe it was early on in the process, but I was pretty sure that wasn't the issue. Um, uh, another issue is, uh, actual sort of liver disease. So the liver itself is not able to process that bilirubin. And then the last possibility is, is essentially an obstruction, inflammation, infection, uh, gallstone, anything that's obstructing that bile duct causing a kind of like, let's call it a traffic jam of this bilirubin. Um, so I was pretty sure it wasn't red blood cell destruction. I was almost positive. Um, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, okay, the culture results on the urine have not come back, but the preliminary is saying so far, no growth. All right. I'm pretty sure there's going to be no growth. Um, so I decided I'm going to take her off the antibiotics in case it's upsetting her tummy. I'll blast her full of, uh, IV fluids as we're doing. We hook her up to IV fluids. I put her on a medication called metronidazole, which is both an antibiotic and kind of a, uh, liver detox, essentially, um, uh, antioxidant kind of immunomodulating medication. 
Um, and, uh, you know, some things to help with her appetite and some abdominal pain medication, that sort of thing. Um, so she's getting the fluids, getting the fluids. And I also decided since the blood work, again, this is Monday morning, the blood work was done on Saturday results on Monday. Let's grab some more blood on her. So we grabbed some blood, sent it to the lab and I was working till about seven, seven thirty that night. And she was perking up. She was, she was eating. She was looking a lot happier. Um, uh, but then we get the blood results back and, Bear in mind, the blood was collected Monday morning. So she had yet to have, you know, IV treatment. She had yet to have treatment specific to uh, this liver condition. Um, and her bilirubin had gone from 25 up to 50. So she's she's getting worse. Uh, but she looks so damn good, right? So I'm like, ah, okay, I'm going to take her home. But I'm going to take her home with the IV bag. And I can set her up at home and, and, and she'll be get to be with her mom, get spoiled and she'll probably eat better. Uh, and, and I was planning to go out late that night with my daughter, Emily, we we're going to go check out a basement apartment she's looking to rent. So it's just going to work out that I can take her out, go to the bathroom, you know, at nine and then come back at 11, do it again, check up on her. I get up at four 30. Uh, I can check up on her again. So, um, so we did that and, you know, other than she had to wear the cone because at this point, right about an hour before we left the clinic, she'd actually chewed the IV line in half, which is funny and a pain in the ass, but it also then causes bleeding because she's bleeding down the catheter into this sort of piece of IV tubing. It's almost wicking the blood. Um, so it could have been quite dangerous, but obviously we were there at the clinic and, and the technician noticed, um, but I'm like, all right, Sally, I love you and you're going to hate it, but you got to wear the cone of shame. So she's waddling around the house with this coat of shame and she's banging into walls and, 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 you know, she was so miserable lying in the crate because she, you know, at first took her a while to get comfortable and it was kind of comical. It was, it was like sad and pathetic, but kind of comical. And she just didn't understand, but she was so happy and wagging her tail. And I'm just happy you guys are paying attention to me. Uh, and even the next morning and she did well and, you know, she peed in her cage, but that's normal. She's on IV fluids and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, 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 in the morning, I wanted her upstairs where we're having breakfast and I'm doing my Greek studying and all this stuff because I'm not going to work until close to uh, close to noon. So it's just different hours on Tuesdays. And so I actually brought up my kettlebell, which for those who don't know, it's this giant weighted ball, this uh, steel, I guess, ball with this kind of steel handle. And you do these different kind of funky plyometric exercises with it. And we basically attached her leash to it. Uh, and the IV bag is hanging off a coat hanger that's hanging off one of the top handles in one of our uh, cupboards in our fridge. And it was my stepson, Dimitri, that said, she looks like a prisoner, like she's strapped to a ball and chain. It was pretty, uh, pretty funny, but she was happy to be there. So she's looking a lot, a lot better. Um, now the only problem though, is she's eat, you know, she's eating, she won't eat her regular dog food, but she's eating rice and hamburger meat. I'd gone and bought some hamburger meat for her and did old school. Like we used to do in university of Guelph back in the nineties, some rice, some lean hamburger meat, a bit of salt to help stimulate sort of, uh, the flavor and the appetite and ketchup. Ketchup is the secret ingredient to get dogs to eat often. And she was loving it. So she's looking fantastic. And then she starts to be sore and she's kind of chewing on her paw. 
And that's because I think with all the walking around and whatnot and, and for various reasons, the catheter wasn't patent as much as it should be, or more, more appropriately, the vein wasn't uh, sort of flowing as nicely and accepting these fluids. So her paw was getting puffy. So I said, you know what? She's doing so great. I'm going to take her to the clinic today just to keep, kind of keep an eye on her. But I'm going to take this catheter out uh, and and just just wrap it. And she was much more comfortable as soon as I did that. That was about 10 a.m. So she hadn't quite had, uh, well, I guess she'd had very, very close to 24 hours of fluids. So, okay, now we're dealing with, you know, probable toxin, uh, damaging the liver, causing a bit of liver dysfunction, uh, maybe inflammation of the bile duct as well. But um, there are some other enzymes, The this one called ALT, uh, alanine transferase, which is basically... Uh, uh, it's an enzyme within the cell wall of the liver. So if trauma, you know, a punch to the liver, I watch a lot of UFC or fall down the stairs, or, you know, if you drink a lot and especially you, uh, you know, you chase a Tylenol with some alcohol, put those two together, your liver's going to receive a bit of damage and you're going to have some cellular death and then the, the cells rupture and release ALT into the bloodstream. And so it's elevated. So her ALT was relatively high. So I was, I was, you know, really leaning towards toxin that she kind of got into something, especially because on our walk, she grabs scupidia, scupidia, ohi scupidia. It means, no, that's garbage. She grabs garbage and she knows, she understands some Greek. And, uh, you know, so she must have you know, like grabbed and chewed or swallowed something or maybe there's something in the backyard. Um, we didn't know. We probably would never find out. So anyways, we take her, to, take her to the clinic and she's doing really well. I said, yeah, you know what? Let's grab a, a quick little small blood sample from her just to check some of these key parameters and, uh, and I'll have the answers before I'm done work. Well, unfortunately, there were some mix-ups and some miscommunications and we grabbed the blood, but it didn't get sent off. Um, so seven o'clock rolls around. And although she's looking a little quieter again, she hasn't had IV fluids, I'd made the decision not to give her some. Um, she, she, we don't have the results back. I'm like, shoot. Um, so, you know, I, I, I take her home uh, and, and she eats that night, you know, maybe not with the same uh, ferocity that she had before, the same love for the food. And, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Well, you know, the next morning comes along. I don't sleep well because I've got nightmares about my poor Thalia. And uh, in the morning, she does not look good again. And she's just really depressed and, and no energy. And she won't eat anything. She won't eat treats. She won't eat banana. She won't eat apple. Uh, I make her up some more eggs and rice. She won't eat it. She won't eat any of Ashley's food. These are all things she normally loves. She won't eat the hamburger meat. She won't eat anything. And she just looks awful and pale and just, ugh. I'm like, shoot, we needed those test results. So I was frustrated and I was kind of in a bad mood, but I was worried about her. You know, I was starting to really, really be concerned and start to second guess what was uh, what was going on and, and second guess my working diagnosis, you know, or my, my tentative diagnosis. So I bring her to the clinic and, and I throw an email to my buddy, Dr. Vlad, who's an internal medicine specialist and, and, and uh, kind of say, hey, you know, I got this case. Can I, can I bounce some questions off you? And of course, he's like, yeah, of course, no problem. So we get, we get back and I get to work and now we have the blood results from the night before. We hadn't received them on time the night before. Um, and her 
jaundice levels, while they had improved, uh, they were originally at 50. Prior to that, before treatment, they were 25. She's only gone down from 50 down to 35. It should be below 10. So I'm like, shoot, you know, if I had seen this, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have uh, taken her off the IV fluids, or I would have hooked her back up again. Um, and again, this is, you know, no one's fault. I'm just kind of second guess myself and say, this is, you know, shoot, I should have checked to make sure that the, that the laboratory picked up the blood in time. Cause I could have paid to have it done as an urgent pickup. Um, you know, just, uh, there's a lot of, I could have done this. I could have done that. Anyways, I talked to Dr. Vlad and I'm really starting to worry and I'm really starting to be pissed off at myself and what did I miss and did I make the wrong diagnosis? Now, you know, so I talked with Dr. Vlad and, and he came to the same conclusion I did. He said, look, this is, this is an acute, meaning it happened sort of quickly in acute hepatopathy. So uh, hep hepatitis means inflammation of the liver. Everyone thinks about Pamela Anderson having hepatitis B, maybe C, I don't know which one she has um, uh, or had, I don't know, but Hepato means liver. So hepatopathy means disease of the liver or damage of the liver. Um, and he said, you know, it's probably a toxin. And he said, just in case, we'll also treat for a bacterial infection called leptospirosis. Very unique bacteria. She's been vaccinated against it, but it's still possible. There's different sort of families of leptospirosis. So there's not always cross protection from one type to the other. What's called serovars or families. Um and he's like, just in case, because it can cause liver problems, as you know, Cliff, as well as the urinary abnormalities that you had described before, get her on some penicillin, you know, to deal with that. So we made some adjustments to her treatment plan. And by now we've hooked her up to IV fluids again. This time I did it myself, a nice big large gauge catheter. And uh, her favorite color is purple. My favorite color is purple. So we did a nice purple bandage. So, you know, I decided now, and, and Dr. Vlad kind of reminded me, she needs to be on IV fluids, regardless of how good she looks. She needs to be on IV fluids for a minimum 48 hours. And that's where we were today. So it was literally the end of the day, the end of the first day. Uh, she's still at the clinic being take care, taken care of by the rest of the team, the evening team. And uh, Dr. Shanice is, is my associate who's uh, keeping a good eye on her. Uh, of course, they're probably not spoiling her the way I, I was and, uh, you know, which breaks my heart. Um, and I think she's going to do very, very well. And I'm, I'm blessed not only, obviously, financially, I, I might be better off than, than some pet owners, but definitely better off financially because even if I decide she needs to go see a specialist, she needs an ultrasound, a biopsy, and, and a feeding tube put in, and, you know, if there's something really, really critical, if this really starts to go south you know, and it's like a $10,000 bill, I can put that on the company and it's still my company and I have to pay for it. But, you know, if you understand taxes and stuff like that, it ends up being like half the price because uh, it's a quote unquote write-off. Um, so it doesn't really matter. But either way, I, I have options that are, are potentially better than, it's certainly better than the average person, but I don't think it's going to come to that. But it was a really tough day and it was a really, again, eye-opening day and or reminder because this happens every once in a while. I've lost dogs in the past and cats, you know, my cat Rye, she only lived till she was only until she was 21, 22 years old. Um, but even when we had to say goodbye to her, um, uh, it was tough, of course, she had cancer. But, you know, it's different when they're when they're elderly, you're kind of prepared for it. So it just, it just, you know, as I said, it's sort of, 
got me thinking about sort of appreciating how much uh, how much she means to me and means to the rest of my family and how important it is that I do my job and, and take care of her and everyone's relying on me to do that. Uh, of course, the family's asked me questions, so I'm kind of talking to them like they're clients, like I'm educating them and because and, they don't have the science background. So, But I'm also trying to do it and... and, and I found myself getting sort of upset and, and almost not maybe kind of losing my patience. Like I was, I was hiding it maybe. I mean, they may say they could tell that it was pissing me off, but like, it's different when it's, when it's another person's pet and I'm quote unquote, just the veterinarian, I take my job very seriously. And it's very important that, that I help them get their pet back happy and healthy, but I can, I can detach myself from it and I can just, give them the information they need to make decisions. And, and I can, I can just kind of say, trust me, she's in good hands. We're going to do everything we can. And if it's not working out, we can refer to the specialists or we can try this or that. Um, but I certainly don't, you know, I don't say, Hey, you know, I'm going to let you take your dog home on IV fluids. Cause that ended up not being the best for Thalia. Uh, emotionally it was the best for her at the time, but it was like short-term benefit and long-term, short-term gain and long-term pain, you know, in the sense of now she's back at the hospital and it's going to be longer for her to get better. So, you know, I, 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 I found myself behaving arguably unprofessionally in the sense of I needed to look at Thalia at least for a few days like she was a patient of mine and not my dog, not a family member. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, that doctors are not allowed, especially surgeons, to treat their own family because there's actually, like people would say, well, I want I want the doctor to be so sort of uh, invested in my well-being and, and to care for me as if I was their own. Yes, but there's a difference between caring for you as if you are a member of the family versus actually caring for you because you're a member of the family. And, and it benefits the patient physically and their health, you know, sort of health-wise, maybe not emotionally, but it benefits them physically if the doctor can detach themselves a little bit and just sort of focus on the medicine and the surgery and the science behind it. And it sounds almost um, uh, like unemotional and cold to think of it like a job, but that's where the outcome ends up being better Um, because you don't want to have your judgment clouded. You don't want to think about, well, what's going to make, let's say, again, we're going to talk about dogs, but it's no different for children or adults or senior citizens or whatnot. What's going to make the dog better physically faster versus they're going to be happier for a night? And I chose the latter, which was the wrong one. I chose initially what is better for her in the short term you know she's going to she's going to be happier she's going to eat more her tail's going to wag more and really it's selfish i was really thinking about me and my wife and my family that we are going to be happy cuz she's home and yes she'll be happy 
But I had already said at the beginning of this that dogs don't dwell on the past. So yes, she's sad and confused right now, but she's going to be better quicker. And I, and I, I made the wrong decision and, and, and I acted too emotionally on a good sense in the sense of I care for her. Um, but it, it, I was unprofessional because of it. And, and so I've learned a lot already, you know, Thalia brings me joy and she, she educates me as well. And so, you know, I learn a lot and, and I've learned, you know, again, uh, don't let emotion cloud your judgment and, and act professionally and act almost scientifically and detached. And then the other thing it did, as I talked about at the very beginning about, uh, it has made me more empathetic towards, uh, towards clients because, not only now, you know, I get what you're going through. I understand what you're going through, Mrs. Smith. I understand how sad you are. I understand how worried you are. I understand how excited and happy you are when things work out. Um, I don't, you know, I would never say this, but I don't obviously, as I said, I don't necessarily have the same grasp about the financial uh, uh, pressures um, but there are clients that have a lot more money than I do. So, uh, so be it. Um, but I, I, I understand sort of the, the love that you have for your pet and how hard this may be. One of the things I have to still remember though, is I get to, like, I really understand the, the medical process and the disease that Thalia is dealing with. So at least... Although, you know, oh, she's at, she's at the hospital and she can't be here with me. I can kind of understand wholeheartedly why she needs that. And so what I'm trying to remind myself is, is if this is stressing me out and making me sad and worried and feeling bad and I'm not going to sleep well tonight because our dog's not in the same house and how sad is she and is she scared? But I'm the veterinarian and I, I totally grasp what's going on. And I'm not just putting my trust in Dr. Cliff and his team, you know, and, and so kudos to the clients. And this is, this is what I really need to get out of this experience. And, and it's not that I'm glad this happened. Of course I'm not, but you almost, you know, you almost got to tell veterinarians you're going to be in this position and, you know, as your animals are going to get sick, you know, you're going to be a veterinarian for 30, 35 years. You're going to have a handful of animals come and go. Uh, of course, there's going to be some sicknesses. Really understand the feeling that I am feeling or you're feeling as a veterinarian, the, the, the sadness and the worry and the concern, it is a fraction of what the client is going through. And kudos to them for paying the bill and for asking the questions and still maybe not understanding fully. I'm a good teacher, but, you know, but I'm going to simplify things and I'm going to answer their questions and add a few more pieces of information of things that they don't know to ask about, but they're putting their trust in us. And that's sort of the end, uh, uh, end of this thesis, end of this conversation of, like, holy crap. Uh, uh, so thank you so much, uh, clients, for 
letting me do a quote unquote simple surgery like a spay. And I need to start realizing, oh, this may be a simple surgery for me. And yes, you know, the little princess is going to be fine, but the owner is sitting at home waiting for the call to say everything's okay. Or the, the, the owner is at home trying to explain to their children or their spouse or their friends why their dog is in the hospital for a couple of days on IV fluids. And all they can say is, well, the doctor says it's some sort of toxin, but we're not really sure. But he assured me that, you know, everything's being done and I, I trust him and, and we've always had a good relationship. So they're saying the right things, but like, God damn, they're actually putting their trust in me. Sorry for the language. They're actually putting their trust in me and putting their trust in the team. And that's what I'm going to try and get out of this. So, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're, uh, I just love these guys. You know, I love, I love these clients and I love their pets. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, Thalia is man's best friend and Ashley, who's sitting beside me right now, she's looking at me is man's best friend. And, uh, and when I say man, I mean, mankind, humankind, let's say. So, you know, let's, let's, for all the veterinarians out there, future veterinarians and technicians and future technicians and animal care attendants. And this is something I'm going to talk about to my staff at our next meeting. We have to be more empathetic and so much more appreciative and honored that our clients are trusting us. So thank you for listening. Uh, this uh, was again kind of a uh, therapy session. Uh, I do feel better already um, knowing that I'm doing the right thing. And I feel so sorry, Thalia, that I, that I made the wrong decision and, and brought you home. Uh, and I will, I will do better the next time, I promise. I wish I could explain it to you. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And give your dog, cat, bunny, rabbit, not your fish, but give any of your mammals a hug um, and uh, uh, stare at them and, and give them a little kiss and uh, let them know that you love them and give them a little treat and keep them away from toxins. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, next time you see your veterinarian, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they'll have heard this and they will, uh, they will say thank you. Um, but even if they don't know that, uh, we appreciate you guys very, very much. And again, I appreciate your listeners. So send me any questions or comments you may have, um, DR cliff, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. DR cliff WWV as in worldwide vet DR cliff WWV at vet 905.com is my email. Uh, Instagram, Dr. Cliff, Dr. Cliff, Worldwide Vet is my Instagram handle. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, all the contact info there is probably underneath the podcast, wherever you're hearing this. Send me some questions. Send me some comments. Uh, if you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. And thank you for listening to episode five of the Dr. Cliff podcast, Man's Best Friend. Uh, and as always, be kind to animals. Thank you. Thank you.